Good afternoon and welcome to the fifth week. Uh, actually, it's morning time, but, but Ray and I are, have changed our schedule a little bit. Uh, so we are fil filming this morning or videotaping this morning uh, uh, as opposed to doing it on the afternoon or in the afternoon. Uh, so that's not to confuse anybody, but it is a beautiful, beautiful fall morning. The temperature is brisk and we are enjoying ourselves. All right, today we are in the fifth week. Uh, we are in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts and we will be doing the first 31 verses in the fourth chapter today. Uh, we are picking up where we left off last week with uh, uh, Peter having completed his first evangelical uh, sermon uh, and we are then moving into what happens thereafter. Uh, and it didn't go as, as Peter probably expected it to go, but uh, we'll be talking about that today. But first, let me open with prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you for this day. We, it's, it's a beautiful day. And uh, we thank you for every blessing that we have in this day. We also ask that you would be with us this morning as we uh, look to your word. And, and uh, if there is a, a, a message here that you would like for us to, uh, to take to heart, we just pray, Lord, that uh, uh, we might be convicted of that in some way. Uh, and, it, and, and it might bring meaning to, in some way to us. So we ask, O oh Lord, that you be with us. Uh, lead, guide us, and direct us in all that we do, especially in your name. Uh, for all these things we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, looking at the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, let me do my chart here. And then let me read the first four verses. Again, we find ourselves now as Peter having finished that first and very successful uh, sermon of his. And everybody was excited and Peter was, uh, was himself excited about what took place in the healing of the lame man. And all of the and, the and the sort of chaotic joy that took place uh, in Solomon's portico in the aftermath of that. And so Peter, I'm sure, was probably looking around for John and was, uh, was probably being congratulated on all sides by people who were telling him what a tremendous sermon it was and we really needed that. You know, the usual stuff that the pastor gets at the front door. Uh, so I, Peter was surprised. We pick it up now in the fourth chapter, the first verse. He says, now as they spoke to the people, Peter and John and what other, other disciples that might have been there. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So, 5,000 plus the original 3,000, they had already increased the church growth by a lot. So they had about 8,000 believers now uh, in the new church. And so, uh, needless to say, they were excited by that. I can't imagine any pastor who, who uh, perhaps was, was, uh, had a church that he got up 8,000 uh, new members in a matter of days. Uh, but it, it certainly was an exciting, uh, exhilarating time for those uh, apostles who were just starting out on what was going to be a very difficult uh, and dangerous journey for them. Uh, look at this first verse, verses, and I wanted to talk about 
the, the people that are involved there. First of all, the apostles, and we've already talked about them, but they're talking here about the priests. Now, what priests were they talking about? Were they talking about the priests that were serving that day in the temple, or what other priests could they been, have been speaking of? Uh, Josephus, who is probably one of the most recognized and most respected of the early historians uh, of this period, uh, says that about the time that this happened, there were about 20,000 priests in the, uh, in, the, in the tribe of Levi, if you will. The Levitical priests, there were about 20,000 of them. And you say, well, that's a lot. Uh, yes, that is a lot, but that, weren't, that, that wasn't all of the people who was in that particular tribe. There were other people who were in the tribe that were not priests. But of that 20,000, they divided the 20,000 up into 24 groups. Each group had a, a chief priest or, or leading priest, and then he had a, a number of, of folks underneath them, uh, which they had a sort of a revolving duty roster uh, that they were expected to show up and to be at the temple and, and help uh, uh, carry out temple duties during certain times of the year. Uh, it, it was kind of like a duty roster in the military. And so it, it happened that the priest, usually, each priest, uh, usually spent about, counting all of the holidays and everything else, they usually spent about five weeks a year actually performing their priestly duties. And the rest of the time they were doing whatever their side gig was or whatever job they had or in some other way trying to earn a living. And of course, many of them tried to earn a living right there at the temple selling stuff and bartering and, and so forth. And uh, we'll talk about that at some other time but also the captain of the guards. Again, he was a priest, but he was also a priest that had gotten involved in security around the temple. And of course, he had risen up through the, all of the, the priesthood, if you will, to become the captain of the temple guards. And as a part of his function was when there was any sort of an emergency or if the high priest had to go someplace or do something, uh, the, the captain of the guard or the temple guards also stood in as the high priest and did certain uh, perfunctory kinds of ceremonial duties. And so the, the last there were the Sadducees. Now, Josephus also says that the Sadducees were not a, a very large group uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, certainly the priesthood. They were for the most part Levites too. Uh, there were some Sadducees who were not Levites, but most of them were Levites. Uh, and they were wealthy aristocrats. Number-wise, maybe five to 6,000 total is all that there were. So they were, they were already outnumbered by the new Christians. But anyway, the, the, the Sadducees were wealthy aristocrats. Josephus had some very uh, disparaging kinds of words to say about them in terms of their temperament, in terms of their manners, the way in which they conducted themselves around, uh, not only with each other, but around all of the other uh, Jewish uh, worshipers too. Uh, the one thing that was highest on their list was the Torah. Nothing else counted for the Sadducees except the Torah. If it, di if it didn't come from the Torah, or if it was not uh, uh, written down in the Torah or interpreted from the Torah, uh, the Sadducees didn't want any part of it. They, they essentially worshiped the Torah. And so they, they, of course, would be very, very taken aback by anything uh, that the apostles might have said, which would have been outside, which had not been in the Torah, or which had been outside the Torah. And so, uh, again, Josephus said they were a, a, a very abrasive and ob, uh, obnoxious lot. Now, jumping now to the uh, next five verses, or four verses, no, it's actually about six verses there, five through 12. Verse five, it says, and it came to pass on the next day 
that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Ananias, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were a family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. All of the muckety mucks were there uh, for the, uh, and, and especially after they arrested Peter and John, uh, and, and held them overnight along with the lame man who was exhibit A in, in their, going to be in their trial, if you will. Uh, it came to pass that all of these people were there and uh, they called them together to, to have this inquiry or this trial, quote unquote, of uh, John and Peter. And when they had set them in the midst, they always, they always put the accused in the middle of a circle. Now, the, uh, and, and then they went around so everybody could see everybody else. And of course, uh, they would conduct their inquisition. It says, and of course, the first inquisition question they had, by whose power or by what name have you done this? I done this meaning healing the lame man. Uh, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. You know, I, I want to stop at that verse because it, it brings my attention back to uh, Luke and Luke the 12th chapter. You remember in Luke, the 12th chapter, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking about the hard times that were to come and, and that they were going to be uh, uh, brought up and, 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 you know, and put on charges and they were going to be uh, uh, treated badly and so forth. But the, the verse that comes, had came to my mind this past week was in Luke, the 12th chapter, in the 11th verse, he says, now when they bring you to the synagogues, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now that uh, it, now it doesn't say so in my Bible, but it seems to directly connect with the 8th eighth verse in uh, the 4th chapter here where it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with that spirit that Jesus said was going to be there to teach him to, uh, to say the things that he needed to say. And so uh, it goes on into the ninth verse and it says, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you and all to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you. And he stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you, builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And then the 12th verse says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, those are some, those are some powerful verses. And if there's any verse that can be singled out as being the game changer in this inquisition that was taking place there... Uh, first of all, and I'll go to that in just a minute, but first of all, let me talk about the players. The players, of course, was the, the Sanhedrin. When it talks about all of these, uh, the uh, elders and the rulers and so forth, they essentially are talking about the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was that group of 71 elders, obviously all men, 71 elders, and the 71 number, some, some writers say that the 71 was the number that was established after the, the uh, Jews were brought back from Babylon out of captivity. Others would say, no, it goes even further back. It goes back to Moses and the elders that were chosen to assist him in caring for the people. Whatever, the number was 71. They were considered to be uh, the wisest uh, 
people in Israel and the most well-educated people in Israel. And so they were brought together and put on this judicial council. Then the judicial council had, had two functions. Uh, first of all, they were, had a legislative function. They sort of made the laws. And the other was they had the judicial function is they had to carry out the laws or to enforce the laws. So not only did they make the laws, they enforced the laws. And so it was all of these people that were there. So you had the 71 members of the Sanhedrin. Possibly all of them were there. Maybe some were absent. But then they had also the high priest was there. And they talk about here who the high priest was. Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, who was his father, or father-in-law, and John and Alexander and as many of the family of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. Uh, so you had all of the, the high priest and all of his relatives were there, and then Peter begins his testimony. Now, Peter, of course, was, he had an opportunity to testify for Christ uh, when Christ was seized by the Romans and, to, and was going to be uh, put to death, and he of course, denied Christ three times, just as he had been told that he would. Uh, but the fourth time for Peter, this was his next opportunity to testify, if you will, for Christ before the Sanhedrin. And of course, uh, he did a, a bang-up job, but he did that under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that he did was uh, he referenced in his sermon there, Psalms 118, which is called the Psalms of Praise, and also uh, that verse 412, which I want to get back to now, uh, verse 412 is that there is no salvation, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What he's saying is that, that, that Christ is the way. And as Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes before the Father except by me. It comes to the Father except by me. And so not only did Christ say that that's who he was and, what, and, and that was the only way, but Peter re, sort of repeats that again. And of course speaking to this group that certainly caught them not only off guard but it enraged them to no end of course uh, the, the most of the, the Sadducees that were there the San, the Sanhedrin these are all people who who uh, uh, thought that they had the final word on salvation and of course the Sadducees themselves didn't even believe in salvation uh, but but anyway, that when, when they said, when Peter repeated that Acts 4.12, that there's no other name other than, that man might be saved other than Jesus Christ, uh, then, of course, that was the thing that set them off. Now, in verse 13, he says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say anything or nothing against it. But when they had com commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What are we going to do? What shall we do to these men? For indeed, there is a notable miracle. It's been done um, and through them. And it's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or nor to teach in the name of Jesus. Now that, I, I, I used, of course they, they sent out the accused along with his, the witnesses there, uh, the blind man, I'm not the blind man, but the lame man. Uh, first of all, they were absolutely dumbfounded that Peter and John would, had, would have the temerity, would have the boldness to speak to them in the manner that they did and, and to culminate with that, that verse 
4.12 to say that, that uh, not only were you wrong, you were wrong as you could possibly be because who you crucified was the only one that can, can, uh, can get you salvation or through whom you be, can be saved. So the, the, the uh, muckety-mucks, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, uh, they were all speechless. They were winded and certainly in a spiritual bind because as the scripture says, they knew unequivocally they knew that a miracle had been performed. Uh, not only had it been performed, but it had been witnessed by so many people who were not only excited about it, but who in fact had been converted, who had repented and been converted as a result. There were 5,000 people who not only heard it, but believed it, and so they had in fact come to, to, uh, to Christ in faith based upon the, the, the sermon that, that Peter had preached. So they knew they were in big trouble. And so they had to decide what they were going to do. They, they sent the prisoners out. And the, course, the, the court considered its strategy, or the judicial council considered its strategy. What are we going to do? And, of course, what they said was, well, we, we can't deny that it happened. It did happen. Everybody saw it. So, but what we can do is we can do the, what we, in today's language we might say, that's the, the Barney Fife uh, strategy. Uh, Barney, as you, I'm sure there's a lot of people who watch <laughs> who are looking at this video know what the Barney Five strategy is. Uh, Andy asked Barney one time uh, what they were going to do about, I, I, I can't remember if it was about crime that was in the, in, uh, the town of Mayberry or whether it was something that, that uh, uh, the little Richie, Richie had, what was his name? And, Andy's son, anyway. But anyway, Barney says, when, when it's, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to nip it in the bud. We've got to nip it, nip it, nip it. And of course, uh, when they start to do that, and that's, that's exactly what they were talking about doing here, is that we've got to nip this behavior, this, this thing about Jesus and, and, and who he is and what he did and, and so forth, and also this, this uh, seemingly mad rush of, of new converts to, uh, you know, to become part of his following, to become Christians, if you will. And so... They issued a gag order and said, you know, they brought them back in and, and, and told them, now you will, no longer, you will no longer teach and preach about Jesus, nor will you use his name in anything that you say. You've got a gag order, and it was issued to everyone about that, uh, to all the apostles and so forth. Don't even say his name. As a matter of fact, the, the, uh, the Sanhedrin wouldn't even say his name. They begin to say, this man. Or this, or this name, but they would not say the word or, or the name Jesus. And of course, the apostles, Peter and John, says, says you know, uh, John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. You, you, you make the decision about whether it's right for us to do what you tell us to do or not. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since, all they, since, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And of, and of course, uh, again, you can only imagine that, uh, that Peter is saying, you know, who are, we, who are we going to obey, God or you? And, of course, they had to answer that question. And they did answer that question by saying, you know, uh, essentially, we, we've told you, don't say the name anymore. Don't teach. Don't preach. Don't, don't say his name anymore. And so, of course, Peter and John says, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, and over in verse 23, and being let go, 
they went back to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And you, you can just imagine that, that scene, what that would have been like. Uh, of, of course, most of the apostles would have been at prayers that time, although they extended way on up into the evening, so they might have, some of them might have gone on, on back since Peter and John had been put in prison along with the, the lame man uh, who was no longer lame. And so they might have all gone back and they were anxiously awaiting to see what was going to happen. And so the next morning when they had the, the, uh, the trial, if, as, as it were, and uh, ultimately they were let go. I'm sure that they rushed back to, uh, to Jerusalem, uh, to the upper room, where they found all of their friends and relatives who were there who were anxiously awaiting the results of what happened in the trial. And so you can imagine the excitement as they came in and everybody said, what they do, what they do, what they say, what they do, you know, and that kind of thing. And so Peter and John were, were, were taking some time there to try and give them the entire story. And so when they heard that they raised their voices to go, when they heard when John and, and Peter repeated exactly the things that took place, uh, and I'm sure in, his, his, in great detail, uh, so when they had heard that they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why did the nations uh, rage and the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined for to be done. Now Lord look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they might speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Well, what, a, what an ending to that event. Uh, they're, they're let go because the Sanhedrin just give them another warning about what they're to do. And that is to don't, don't do that again. Don't come to the, uh, the, the temple or don't go anywhere uh, using the name of Jesus and preaching under the name of Jesus and, and uh, uh, continuing to do what you did here. And so they left them with that warning saying, if you, if you do, uh, I'm sure they probably added some stuff to it. Here's what we're going to do if you do that, blah, blah. But anyway... Praying the Psalms, that's what the, the, uh, the apostles were doing. And then, of course, they, they joined in prayer. And their prayer request was that they would have confidence, that God would give them courage, and that they might have power to continue to do the things which they had been doing, especially around performing miracles and that kind of thing. And so God confirms the receipt, just if you'll remember uh, what happened on... on uh, uh, Mount Sinai when Moses got the, the law from, from God and, and uh, you know, God shook the earth there uh, to, to let Moses know that, that what had been said there was uh, under God's control and uh, had been approved by him. So God did the same thing after the apostles had prayed. Then God shook the ground to ensure or to, to reaffirm to them that he had heard their prayer. Now, uh, it, it would have been nice had that been the end of it. Uh, but the irrepressible apostles uh, weren't going to let it lie there. And so uh, next week we will pick up in, in the 32nd verse of chapter 4 and we'll go through about halfway through uh, chapter 5 and, and see what, what took place next. But you can be assured, those of you who read ahead, is that uh, uh, 
the apostles were bold. They received the courage, they received the confidence, and they received the power. And so they were going to continue what God had ordained them to do as his missionaries to the world. All right, let me close with prayer. Gracious Father, again, we thank you for your word of truth. Uh, it's unchanging, and we just uh, uh, we thank you for it, Father, and we, we just ask that, that daily we might apply it to our lives and, and every situation as that we look to the word of truth to tell us the things that we need to be doing, should be doing, uh, and, and we ask, O oh Lord, that, that, that through that uh, we might be better servants uh, in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.